Welcome back, everyone. This is Ryan Selkis. You're listening to another episode of Masari's Unqualified Opinions, where each week I discuss key industry trends with crypto's top investors, builders, and thinkers. Just a reminder, Masari is much more than a podcast company. So if you're an industry professional or crypto investor, head over to masari.io and check out Masari Pro, our crypto toolkit that offers best-in-class research, advanced screening, and charting tools to keep you ahead of the investing curve, plus a new enterprise alerts tool. We're also hosting the industry's largest virtual event, the Mainnet, this June 1st through 3rd, with over 50 hours of programming, 100 confirmed speakers, and virtual networking that's so seamless, you'll feel like you're actually there. 50% of the profits are heading to COVID relief, so go reserve your spot today at mainnet.com. Dot events. That's masari.io for pro research and tools and mainnet.events for the best virtual event you'll attend this year. With that, strap in for another episode. Going to be a good one. This episode of the podcast brought to you by Luca. Save money this tax season with Luca Tax, the only time-tested crypto tax software. Luca has listened to your feedback and now lets you calculate capital gains and losses, seeing the results using three different accounting methods side-by-side, all for free. You only pay if you want to see their detailed tax reports and submit your forms using their software. Luca supports unlimited transaction downloads from all major exchanges and wallets and helps you optimize your tax reporting so you can max out this year's refunds or minimize how much you have to pay. Luca wants to help Masari's Unqualified Opinions listeners save even more this year. So use promo code MasariTax and you'll get a discount. Much more importantly, you'll do your taxes correctly and stay out of jail. Download LucaTax at Luca with two Ks, tax.com, and save money this tax season. This episode of the podcast brought to you by crypto.com. We know times are tough. That's why crypto.com is introducing three different measures to help its community with their new crypto.com app and credit card. First, they're waiving the three and a half percent credit card fee on all crypto purchases in the next three months. They're also offering 10% back when you use the MCO Visa card on food and grocery shopping. And as always, you can buy gift cards on the crypto.com app for merchants like Whole Foods, Safeway, Burger King, and more with 20% back on food and additional 10% back on groceries. So download the crypto.com app today. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group, one of the top blockchain events and media production companies I've worked with for exclusive content and events that could help you with insight into the crypto and blockchain space. Check them out at blockworksgroup.io and you will not be disappointed. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Citadel. It's Masari's Unqualified Opinions. I'm Ryan Selkis, at 2BitIdiot on Twitter. And thank you for tuning in to another very special program. We've got uh, Paolo Arduino, the CTO of Bitfinex. We've got a uh, fascinating conversation ahead of us. We've already done a bit of a pre-brief. And spoiler alert, we're, we're going to try to avoid legal issues and, uh, and, and some of the, the murkier uh, areas of international crypto finance for good reason. But there is a ton to talk about in terms of Bitfinex's role in this industry and uh, their ongoing development of the platform, uh, their place in the broader crypto market, their place in the stablecoin ecosystem uh, via Tether and, and all of the uh, enormous amount of liquidity that that has brought uh, to the market, not just over the course of the last few years, but especially in the last quarter. And uh, generally speaking, just uh, how Paolo is, is thinking about the international and uh, domestic uh, repercussions for their company. Um, and for the crypto industry in general. So there's there's a ton of ground that we could cover. Bitfinex is obviously one of the OG exchanges and uh, arguably the top source of liquidity for Bitcoin 
at least in the spot markets these days. Um, Paolo, before we get into all that, um, why don't you walk us through the journey uh, into crypto personally and how um, you came to Bitfinex and, and, and your role today um, in what is one of the most structurally important entities in the international ecosystem. Thank you, Ryan. So uh, my story, um, well, long story short, um, I, my, my, my formation, my background is in uh, computer science and math. Um, I uh, started coding when I was really young, um, eight, uh, nine uh, years old, and I did that since, since today, right? It's still today, I spend 90% of my time in coding. Um, I uh, graduated from university in Genoa and then worked for a few years as a researcher in uh, military telecommunication space. Then didn't pay much, so I decided to, to look into finance. I really love finance anyway. I, um, I was looking um, around with, um, I was learning trading um, by myself. And then I said, well, I can really try to, to, to uh, improve the traditional financial world where, you know, I worked with hedge funds, I worked with uh, um, some Swiss banks, trying to improve their processes, trying to scale their processes. They were really, really outdated. Uh, that was around 2012, uh, 2010, 2011. Uh, but then I decided to, to create, um, to decide to create a company doing exactly this in, uh, in London. Uh, the company uh, was called Finklaster and was born in 2012, 2013 to solve uh, a scalability uh, um, and uh, create a common software for uh, backend software, mainly for banks and hedge funds. Now, um, while I was doing that, it was in London, I was starting reading about Bitcoin because my, my background is in, uh, um, my main background is in um, decentralized applications and scalable, um, um, uh, scalable applications, parallel computing, uh, and distributed systems, right? So I was reading about Bitcoin and say, wow, this is exactly what I like, but applied finance. So for me, it was an obvious um, love uh, at first sight. Uh, so um, I started digging into it and started playing around with, um, um, with Bitcoin. Uh, I didn't contribute to the code base. I was just thinking and planning and trying to understand how Bitcoin could be used to build applications on top of it and to, uh, let's say, trying to achieve uh, a more resilient finance. So uh, given my experience and not really good experience with, uh, let's say, the traditional financial world with a really outdated protocol, you know, you had to send back and forth uh, things via FTP or via, let's say, yeah, via FTP with the tabbed space uh, files Still in, still in 2012, 2013, was really an, an outdated technology. So for me, Bitcoin was um, a refreshing moment. Um, while I was in London in 2014 and 2014, I met Giancarlo, the, the CFO of uh, Bitfinex. Um, you know, at that time, Bitfinex was uh, probably the only exchange offering margin trading on Bitcoin. And that was quite cool. Uh, at the same time, they had some issues on the matching engine because it was slow. So everyone was really excited, especially after 2013, there was a big spike in Bitcoin price. So into that, so um, um, I started um, discussing with, with Giancarlo and he, it basically we agreed that I should be involved in, in trying to um, improve the, the, the Bitfinex matching engine. 
even um, my background is in scalable applications, right? And then I started doing that, and in a few months, I was able to um, uh, to make it um, much more, uh, much faster, um, uh, more or less between 100 and 1,000 hacks. Um, the, the previous version was really uh, not um, really best design, I would say. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I step in. I was able to to achieve that 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 improvement. Then, of course, 2016 happened. Uh, I was at that time still, uh, you know, a freelance. I had my my, my startup, and then, um, you know, the uh, mid 2016, uh, the hack happened. And basically, um, I, I was asked if uh, I could step in as a CTO and take care of uh, overhauling the entire infrastructure, spinning up the new infrastructure, and continue my role as both CTO and the developer of the machine engine. So I, I decided that was really definitely my the best job that I could ever have. So uh, I said yes, close my startup in London, and, and uh, move on uh, to completely to Bitfinex. Um, and since then, um, uh, I would say uh, we made um, giant leaps in, um, in scalability of the platform and, um, um, and creating something that is really good for high-frequency traders. Uh, 2017 uh, became the uh, end of 2017 became the city of Tether, uh, and then kept doing this uh, for till today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and can you explain uh, how? Uh, your role has evolved between Tether and, and Bitfinex um, and, and kind of where you currently sit because there, there is some confusion over the, um, the organizational structures. We don't have to get into the banking and, and kind of creation and, and asset component of it. But, um, but where do you spend most of your time? Is it on the infrastructure? Is it on the, the Tether side? Um, or is this just a, a, a dis- discrepancy that doesn't really exist? In fact, it's more just a, a organizational chart Issue. So you know, I uh, my, my experience. I have a really good expertise also in uh, in security. So that is one of the reasons why in 2016 I was asked to step in as a CTO of Bitfinex. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I still my my main role is to direct uh, an amazing team of developers in Bitfinex uh, mm-hmm. and in Tether. Uh, Tether has less developers because most of the operations are on chain. Of course, we use um, well-known blockchain. So the key part of my role in Tether um, is ensuring that the blockchains uh, that we are going to adopt has all the requirements that uh, we want in terms of issuance, redemption, authorization processes. Um, so that is what I do in Tether, and also I decide the processes in which. These uh, the issuances and, um, and redemption need to happen. So mm-hmm. um, I that is um, you know I, I really uh, I'm I'm really thorough and really annoying when it comes to security. Um, so um, um, basically, I spend quite some time design designing uh, all the all these these processes. In Bitfinex, instead, I spend I would say most of my time because I really code a lot there. Uh, all the basically I. I I'm mainly involved in machine engine and all uh, and the backend processes. So I I would say that I I still um, the machine engine is still ninety percent me uh, and uh, all, uh, also the core services is still eighty percent me. I would say. Got it. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about uh, Tether first because it's just seen an absolute explosion uh, in volume and, and in new creation. 
uh, particularly over the last quarter. Uh, so there's, there's two things that, that I think we should talk about. One is um, this transition that started, really people forget, uh, only about a year ago uh, between Omnitether and then ERC uh, and TRX Tether, um, which are, in, in Ethereum's case, Tether that's now traded, USDT that's now traded and, and, um, and held on the Ethereum blockchain is uh, over $5 billion now, which is larger than USDT on Omni ever was. Um, I think even even at its peak, which is around you know three billion, this is a transition that really only happened last year. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, what ultimately led to the migration to uh, Ethereum? It might sound like an, an obvious question and answer, but but not only what led to that, but also the decision making process for when to flip the switch. Because on the one hand, it's obvious there's a ton of developer activity, there's a ton of interest, and there's certainly the capabilities with ERC uh, tokens to, to facilitate a, a type of transfer and creation like this. But on the other, Ethereum itself uh, as a platform is uh, certainly not ironclad from, from a security standpoint. And the, the last thing that you want to have happen is any issues with the fungibility uh, of a dollar-denominated token during a chain split or a, a migration to a new chain, which is basically what, what uh, Ethereum 2.0 is. Yes. So, uh, first of all, the, um, the moment when we decided to uh, create um, Tether on, um, on Ethereum was really, and few know that, was really end of 2017. If you recall, in end of 2017, was, we were almost at the peak of the bull run. And the prices of a Bitcoin transaction and hence Omni transactions at some point reached out um, to be $500. So, of course, there was, uh, everyone was making money. So, uh, you know, people were, were kind of happy. Uh, but still, they were really complaining hard about Tether. So, we, were, uh, we, we got a lot of complaints and uh, other exchanges complained that, uh, that supported Tether, that is basically the majority, complained with us uh, about the costs of, uh, of running um, an Omni node because ultimately you, have, you need to have uh, Bitcoin, uh, you need to, to spend Bitcoin in order to send uh, an Omni transaction. So in the uh, end of 2017, we issued, uh, we, we uh, worked on the Ethereum uh, smart, contract, uh, smart contract for, for Tether and we, we deployed it. We really didn't use it and we didn't, um, so, you know, as uh, beginning of 2018, uh, the market started calming a bit and uh, by the time we were, um, we, uh, we were ready to, um, to announce uh, Tether Ethereum as an alternative, uh, the, the, the fees, the fee costs went down quite, quite a lot. So first mm -hmm. of all, I want to say that we never intended to migrate. So we, we wanted to create uh, diversity. We wanted to offer a way that uh, a solution in case one blockchain gets bloated um, and not usable, not stable. We wanted to give another uh, opportunity to use a different blockchain. So usually we suggest to exchanges to support at least two um, Tether blockchains. So at, the, at any point in time, uh, traders can still move the funds between uh, between one exchange to another. So uh, and also Tether was was born to um, to to um, make it easier 
to make it faster, the um, cross-exchange arbitrage. So if you have really high fees or you have a blockchain that is bloated and uh, the confirmation times are hours, then you lose completely the purpose of a stable coin. So you, you, that is why, uh, the, that is the key reason why we are on multiple blockchains. So we are on Tron, EOS, uh, Liquid, and, uh, and uh, Algorand, for example. So um, basically, we started by then, and uh, we, we, now, we then understood that uh, um, uh, traders would prefer, anyway, uh, Ethereum just for transaction speed and, and, uh, and costs in general. So costs are more predictable and uh, usually lower um, on, on Ethereum. Um, and, uh, there, but the result of that uh, is that all exchanges started to move to Ethereum and then Ethereum kind of became, we, we basically bloated uh, Ethereum at least for a good part. Um, so uh, we decided then to continue our, um, our um, journey and then we add Tron and then uh, liquid. Liquid uh, is, uh, for example, a good example. Uh, gives uh, a good diversity because you can have um, uh, you can have um, confidential transactions. So that is something that is, I believe, is is quite interesting because if you are a trader, you don't want to know to have other people know when you are moving funds to an exchange. So that is give also an interesting edge. And Algorand is uh, is a pretty well uh, known technology, so we decided to um, to to issue there as well, and mm -hmm. use uh, and and also use. So basically, we are trying to capture all the different communities, the, the communities that we believe are more most interesting among the different blockchains, and we try to serve them with the same um, with the same uh, um, stablecoin. Because if we are present in all blockchains, then we 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 uh, there is no need. Uh, or we, you know, there is. Uh, we have at least enough f uh, first mover advantage, uh, and we can we can lead the um, uh, on every on every or every major blockchain. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one one thing that is a, a common source of of criticism, or at least uh, you know maybe concern in uh, Western circles in particular, is the outsized uh, market share of Tether versus some of the other stable coins. Um, there's USDC now, there's Paxos, there's TrueUSD. Uh, obviously, everybody's talking about Libra and, and you know, Binance now has their own uh, synthetic dollar. There are a lot of these coming and they're, they're all living under different regulatory regimes um, and, and different structures. How do you think about um, Tether versus a fully decentralized um, synthetic like dye, right? On the one hand, or a Western regulated um, asset like USDC, or you know, one of the major, uh, ultimately central bank digital currencies, or equivalent like a Libra. Uh, as you think about both, you know, today's competitive pressures uh, or or interplay, and then um, where things will be in five years from now. So these these are um, good questions. So. You know, first of all, um, I, I hope I'm going to say this right because otherwise, as to our general counsel will slap me really hard. But um, basically, Tether is regulated in BVI and registered in FinCEN. So, 
you can decide which jurisdiction you think that is best uh, for a stable coin. But it's not that Tether is like far west, right? Is 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 regulated uh, and uh, is registered in Finland. Now, of course, we uh, we are much bigger than than the rest, and uh, I believe uh, that the reason for the for it is that we we understood really well the use case of a stable coin and crypto space. So, um, first of all, Tether um, was created in 2014. So, and uh, by a group of people that really cared about uh, this industry and really cared about uh, trying to find ways to make, to bring mass adoption to this industry. Because, you know, in 2014, um, at, uh, at the peak of volatility, the spread between exchanges was uh, 30%, 20%. So in order to reach mass adoption, you have to pass numerous steps. And one of these steps is to have a healthy market. So uh, Tether got a really big first mover advantage. And uh, the, the rest of the competition arrived in late 2018 when all the fun, at least, at least from 2017, passed. Um, and uh, so... It is, first of all, it is to be noted that um, the competition really wasn't in this market and didn't contribute, at least in this market, as Tether did since the beginning. So, um, and till today, so after two years or one year and a half of existence, they are mainly on one single blockchain. And that is one of the, the other things that uh, I, you know, I, I really cannot believe why they are not adapting themselves. Because, of course, I'm, I really love Bitcoin. And for me, there is just basically Bitcoin. But also I have to, I, I really don't like religion wars. So if there is a good, um, if a blockchain is secure, and if a blockchain has a good community, and good, um, so good security standard give us the good uh, the instruments that we need in order to, to perform um, issuance uh, and redemption in a, in a secure way. Uh, I believe that we need to serve that community, um, mm -hmm. and uh, this is what is making um, Tether great. For example, um, Tron uh, start um, did a really good job in marketing and started uh, converting a lot of uh, Tether to, to from Ethereum to Tron and from Om to Tron. So um, and we wouldn't have uh, we couldn't have done that without supporting Tron. So uh, it is for me it, it's only logical that Tether is uh, is such bigger compared to competition because we we really trying to understand the market where we are in. We are not trying to, to create a stable coin just to have a, a pile of cash and make some interest uh, out of it. Of course, it's a nice thing. Is is Tether is a is a private health company, so we have we need to have a business model. At the same time, um, we, we really want Tether was born for for a purpose that is make, helping the crypto industry. So this is a big differentiation uh, between us and the competition. Um, and sorry, I forgot the other questions. <laughs> Um, no, I, I think we can we can move on. If you, you you pretty much covered it, and uh, and I, I know any answer that starts with "I want to make sure that I get this right, uh, so that I don't get in trouble with the lawyers" is uh, is is you know something that I I don't want to trip you up with, um, because uh, you know I, I I recognize there's some sensitivity here, but maybe more in macro, I want to touch on that point tangentially. Um, how 
how have you found it uh, managing communications with a global ecosystem of uh, investors and, and stakeholders and users of the platform when really there's implicit trust in Bitfinex as an exchange, implicit trust in, in Tether as an entity, but there is only so much you can do structurally uh, to, to go, you know, open kimono and, and, and you could, that, that's for a variety of reasons. One being um, regulatory and legal, uh, another being just uh, technical. So, you know, not wanting to divulge too much information that it would weaken your internal security systems. Uh, and this is not something that's necessarily unique to Bitfinex, um, but it's certainly top of mind, I'd imagine. Um, and yet, Bitfinex is still the largest liquidity pool in, in many markets for spot um, and, and has some of the deepest pocketed investors uh, actively trading, making markets and, and you know, even investing, uh, you know, in, in the company. Um, how, how do you think about uh, building those relationships, building up that trust when the default would be you go radically transparent and that's really not an option in this market for a few different reasons? So, um, first of all, we, we, uh, we have an history of, um, you know, um, of, um, no, in, uh, publicly we had, we had always mixed feelings by the community. So, um, we have been asked multiple times to be more transparent in the past. And I believe that uh, since, um, uh, one year we made a much better job in, um, in trying to reach the community and grow the community and make sure that the, the community, both between us and Tether and also the rest of the crypto community understands really well what we are doing. So for example, when we decided to launch uh, Leo, the approach that we took is, okay, let's make sure that people can see exactly how it works. You can see the market, the orders placed on the market. There are in the trade blotter, you can see the trades. And, um, and you can see, uh, minute by minute burning. So it is a different approach. We decided that we should be really, really open as much, of course, as you said, you cannot go uh, full open kimono, but at the same time, we, we made a lot of steps in, uh, in that direction. Um, I believe that um, Bitfinex is a, and Tether, um, uh, believe it or not, is made by only really in, um, people with uh, high, high in integrity. So, uh, of course, everyone here is, has a family, um, has parents, uh, most of a child, a wife. You don't really don't want, there is no reason in an industry that, uh, luckily for us, because we got lucky to enter really early, um, you really don't, you don't need to do, um, uh, you know, malicious things. If you act as a respectable, uh, respectful person and you act with integrity, you can really show that to your investors and to your community and people will stick around. So we discovered that and that was amazing. We saw that in 2016 and we saw, we are having seen in, in 2019 with, with, uh, with Leo. So, uh, we are really humbled, uh, humbled by that, but everyone that, you know, usually with exchanges, it's really hard to talk with, uh, with the top management. I, I'm basically, I, I, I kind of never sleep because my, my contact, my telegram is, uh, 
is uh, in the hands, and I know Giancarlo's and many others in the management, they are, everyone has the contacts, so, uh, all the customers have our contacts, in order that, that if there is a problem, they can write to us and we leave you know, the ringtone um, uh, high in order to get uh, waken up by them and we work directly the issue. So this is the way, we, we are you know, like, um, um, uh, we ha have a different approach. I, I really like our approach, it's more personal, it's, it's, it's direct. If we messed up, we say, okay, we messed up, that's it, right? We, we, we are proud of what we built, but also we, we recognize that uh, sometimes you cannot always get everything right. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Luca. Save money this tax season with Luca Tax, the only time-tested crypto tax software. Luca has listened to your feedback and now lets you calculate capital gains and losses, seeing the results using three different accounting methods side-by-side, -side, all for free. You only pay if you want to see their detailed tax reports and submit your forms using their software. Luca supports unlimited transaction downloads from all major exchanges and wallets and helps you optimize your tax reporting so you can max out this year's refunds or minimize how much you have to pay. Luca wants to help Masari's unqualified opinions listeners save even more this year. So use promo code Masari Tax and you'll get a discount. Much more importantly, you'll do your taxes correctly and stay out of jail. Download Luca Tax at Luca with two Ks tax.com and save money this tax season. This episode of the podcast brought to you by crypto.com. We know times are tough. That's why crypto.com is introducing three different measures to help its community with their new crypto.com app and credit card. First, they're waiving the three and a half percent credit card fee on all crypto purchases in the next three months. They're also offering 10% back when you use the MCO Visa card on food and grocery shopping. And as always, you can buy gift cards on the crypto.com app for merchants like Whole Foods, Safeway, Burger King, and more with 20% back on food and an additional 10% back on groceries. So download the crypto.com app today. You know, one, one thing that I think, you know, would go a long way industry-wide to, um, to improving trust levels is uh, something that Nick Carter uh, has been very outspoken about, this, this concept of proof of reserves. So, you know, basically using um, some type of cryptographic proofs to, uh, you know, zero knowledge or otherwise to, to you know, kind of self-attest and self-report on some periodic basis that uh, the entity actually has the private keys um, to certain addresses and, and that equals X amount of, of dollars or, or you know, X amount of Tether or Bitcoin or, or what have you. And, um, and this would help, you know, really quickly uh, with maybe not the largest exchanges, uh, you know, that would certainly shore up confidence from an institutional clientele base. But um, if the largest exchanges took that example and, and were able to spearhead that initiative, then it would have a trickle-down effect where it becomes the industry standard and you wouldn't have uh, such acute risks for smaller exchanges that might be struggling to get by and starting to cut corners and, and facing the temptation to go fractional or even exit scam. Um, you basically take that completely off the table and you can front run some of these issues. Um, you know, when you talk to some executives, they'll give a hand wavy answer. You are the CTO. So you, you'd be the one in the driver's seat for enacting something like this. Um, is that something that uh, Bitfinex and Tether will consider somewhere down the line? Forget about um, legal and accounting audits, the, the raw cryptographic audits of, of assets under management. Um, and, you know, if it is something under consideration, what are the, what are the steps or challenges that um, would dictate whether that can be enacted? So I really like this topic because for one specific reason. So 
In 2018, 2019, um, Bitfinex uh, became a EOS uh, block producer, although seen, um, I seem to be uh, um, diverging from, from your question, I, I'm not. So uh, we had the entire EOS community asked us to prove that we were voting rightfully with uh, the EOS funds on, on Bitfinex. And we would we um, we were and uh, they asked us to prove that um, we were only voting with the assets that were owned by certain people and they were willing to vote. So what uh, I decided to build um, is uh, a, a, a solution that is uh, similar to the proof of reserves. I believe that is a step farther because um, we were able to give a tool to our users that. Uh, every uh, day was uh, um, recreating um, uh, all the user balances in a Merkle tree. And then basically each user would could download their a set of keys to vote, verify, basically to vote for their preferred block producers. But really the underlying uh, thing of that, that solution was that when you vote, you have to verify that your balance is the correct balance that is inserted in the Merkle tree so you are the stating that that balance exists on Bitfinex. The tricky part that also we were able to solve, and that is kind of more specific to Bitfinex or, or the margin trading exchange, is that, of course, we, are, we allow long and short, right? And we have a peer-to-peer -peer lending market. So we were able to, to put that into account also in the Merkle tree. So I really love that solution. And I promised myself that we would use it also for um, proof of the reserves in, in the future for Bitcoin and so on. Of course, um, uh, the amount of Bitcoin and the amount of the accounts that we have on the platform is really, really uh, big. So to do that efficiently for, for Bitcoin is, is hard, but um, we are definitely working in that direction. So we have the tool, uh, we build that, and with certain threshold, like we, you removed all the dust accounts and so on, and you, you, can, you can really do a nice, um, you can, you can, do some nice attestation and proof of reserves. So, well, this to be said that, um, I mean, we are trying to do some steps in that direction is something that we really do care uh, of. Um, uh, of course, then you have the, the, bank, the banking uh, part that is not easy to, to, um, to, uh, to prove. You don't have a cryptographic proof of that, but um, all, the, all the cryptocurrencies should be um, simple enough um, to, to prove in this way. Mm -hmm. Um, well, if, if it's simple, then then what are the gating items? Sorry, if, 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 if it's if it's simple, then what are the gating items to just you know doing this and, and putting it on uh, like transparency tether or putting it on a transparency Bitfinex page? Oh well, tether should I mean tether is just blockchain, right? So um, you don't need that because basically tether doesn't hold uh, has a, just a small inventory used for as a buffer to process. Um, uh, you know, to process uh, yeah, true, true, true. Yeah. Um, so uh, the well, I guess this would apply to uh, on balance sheet tether, right? So when when okay. I, I'm not talking about total in circulation, I'm talking about on balance sheet tether Bitcoin uh, and and the like. You know, if if it's relatively simple to do, um, what would prevent you or or any other exchange from being the first to uh, kind of show these proofs? via some transparency dashboard so uh, you could prove solvency on a periodic basis, whether that's monthly or quarterly or, or in real time? No, of course. I mean, but I mean, for, for, for the Tether side, you have 
basically our inventory, we have just a few Bitcoin because um, they are just needed for, um, for, for um, omni fees, right? But uh, the majority, uh, so all, all the Tether um, uh, that are in the authorized but not issued uh, wallet, that is the treasury, are in our process. So we definitely we can have a, we can publish a proof, but is our proof of our word because we we could we can we do a, a transaction every day from those wallets, so we definitely have mm -hmm. keys. I believe that the tricky part is doing that for an exchange. So that mm -hmm. is where I started because uh, exchanges like Bitfinex, we have uh, millions and millions of users, and we have um, uh, if we just do it for for Bitcoin, we have three wallets, so we have tens of millions of Bitcoin wallets basically, and that would mean generating a really big Merkle tree and um, you can the code is, by the way that I mentioned before is open source so you can see that we, we took steps and we developed and we paid um, open source developers to help us designing something that could work to still keep the privacy of the users of course but mm -hmm. would the idea what I really liked uh, and what I liked of our solution is that if you put all our user base together then they can all prove together that the, the that uh, the, the sum of their funds because the root of the Merkle tree is the total of of, uh, of the funds that um, that our balance sheet shows in Bitcoin, for example. And then uh, the all the nodes in the Merkle tree are are representing the user balances. Of course, we are using different techniques um, similar to ring signatures in order to to make it private. But the user can, if every user proves that uh, their their funds uh, their allocation is correct, then the, the, the sum needs to uh, the sum needs to add up to what is in the root of the Merkle tree, and then then we um, uh, the, the the Bitcoin we have only one Bitcoin hot wallet well one Bitcoin hot wallet um, with some change addresses of course and uh, we have but the majority is uh, held in two different Bitcoin hot wallets uh, sorry called wallets so the idea is that you can compare the number that you get on top of the Merkle tree with what we had in in the um, uh, what we have in the um, uh, in the cold wallets and the passout wallet, and then you can verify that we are we have all what we ha are supposed to have. So, by the way, this is exactly what we are doing every uh, ten seconds internally. Um, so that you can see that uh, um, despite all the other changes, we are moving toward, towards that direction. The uh, the technology is called Antani. Is public github.com/bitfinex.com/antani, and uh, you you can see that. Um, and uh, we we have uh, in our roadmap the idea of using it for different currencies. We just need to speed it up because right now it's, it's quite slow. Probably we will rewrite in C++. Makes sense. Um, the uh, so another big question for most of the major exchanges now is this question of what is uh, true volumes and, and true order book depth. And if you talk to any traders in the industry, they'll tell you you know, they know liquidity when they see it. And, and, you know, many have just developed deep relationships with the top uh, most liquid exchanges over many years. And, and so there's, um, I don't want to call it information asymmetry, but there's kind of anecdotal trust that builds up over time just from actually using uh, the different platforms and executing major trades. Um, on the other hand, uh, you know, even for some of the most liquid exchanges, um, you know, will be OKX, uh, you know, some of the Korean exchanges, you look at their order books and they just don't add up, right? So there is some inflation of, of trading volume. Um, 
And it's very difficult to calculate a VWAP. It's very difficult to give people a sense of, of you know, kind of snapshot liquidity in the system without uh, higher fidelity uh, trading volume data. What um, can, can you help explain some of the work that you do internally to suss out um, spoofing and you know other manipulative uh, trading practices so that you can really uh, hone in on on what a true fair and and liquid market is that won't just have disappearing orders um, once you know things actually move in wildly in one direction or the other because um, this is something that is, uh, you know, I know for us personally, uh, I'm sorry, it's, it's maddening as a data company to try to just chase your tail and, um, and, and, you know, fight this uphill battle of getting data directly from exchanges, but having no real ability to audit where that uh, data is coming from. And then just playing a cat and mouse game with data science to, to figure out what's real and, and what's just being spoofed. So, um, I mean, you, you are uh, really touching on a really uh, sensitive, sensitive topic for me because I, I, I love this topic because uh, Bitfinex um, takes good care of uh, his books. We, um, we have few grand rules. We don't fake liquidity and we don't fake volume. Um, we are willing to ensure that... Um, we we are really interested in ensuring that our markets are um, are clean from uh, misleading behavior. So uh, we we started using um, uh, we started using a software called Eregium a few years ago that helped us in this process. And now today, with our experience, we were able to build our own internal software. Um, we you know, we have plenty of, of tokens that don't trade anything on Bitfinex just because we, we really don't want any um, weird activity. Sometimes we find tokens that, um, that are trying to inflate the volume and we promptly, uh, when I say promptly, it says within four, 24 hours, reach out and say, okay, please stop. We, 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 don't, want to, we don't want to see this in, in, in our exchange. It's fine to provide liquidity, but providing liquidity means creating a nice order book with a nice, that is like a, a full restaurant, but you don't, you don't have to match with yourself. You just need to, to provide a tight spread, a spread. That's it. So that is the, 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 the key fact for me. And um, really, Bitfinex, um, first of all, I believe that has a really fair fit here. Um, and that is one of the reasons why we have the best liquid in, in class. If you give... Um, zero or well if you give two basis point taker fees um the cost of removing liquidity is basically almost zero so you end up in having uh markets that will not have enough liquidity to resist uh big movements in volatility so that is one of the things that that uh, usually uh Traders and uh, other exchange owners don't understand much, right? You can, it's, of course, it's nice to have zero maker and zero foot taker or zero and one, whatever, but that is not how it can work. The, the Bitcoin and crypto industry is still young. It's still small. You have uh, 200 billion overall in all the markets splitted among all the exchanges, and that is not enough to create a deep liquidity. And then if you give everyone a free ride where they can take liquidity out of the exchange, then 
basically all your books will, will be really thin as soon as the market moves 3%. So that is what we learn and what we, 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 we really don't care that when the price moves $1, $10 in two hours, we have like $50 million in volume. We really don't care that. We care that when the price moves, we, the, the volume goes up because our books are really thick. Just to give you an example, today, uh, that is um, uh, by coincident, uh, coincidence, um, just before uh, starting our call, our, our, our volume was really low, was like 30 million uh, for the last 24 hours. And we were below most of the US exchanges for the Bitcoin USD price and most of the exchanges in general. The price moved really quickly in a few minutes and the price of uh, the volume of Bitfinex jumped almost twice the, the competition. So, and that is what I call real volume and real liquidity. Because when the price doesn't move, there is no reason for the volumes to be crazy high. But when the price moves, then a lot of big uh, uh, orders get hit. And uh, then you can have really high volume. So these are, I believe, really important key concepts. If I had to develop a metric, I would um, create a metric on the ratio between, um, let's say, volatility and uh, uh, volume um, uh, and, vo and the volume difference. Um, I like that uh, a lot. I, I'm, I'm curious, uh, so is, is that metric available anywhere? Uh, right now? No, I, I just made it up. But, uh, no, I, I made it up, but I, it's what I would do, right? Um, mm -hmm. I, I think it makes sense because uh, it, it's, you know, it's, it's one of the things that uh, we keep telling each other and with the, the traders that praise Big Finance for liquidity, they say as soon as the price moves, there is no liquidity elsewhere, we come all to Big Finance, right? And you can see, right, we were 30 million and in a few minutes we went to uh, 110 million um, in, in trading volume. Right, so mm -hmm. that is that is the best feeling, and uh, we, you know, I um, we are not doing analysis on other changes. We just focus on ours. But uh, I believe that is one of the key metrics that I would uh, I would like to see. You know. I like it. Uh, we're gonna have to sidebar on that at the end of this conversation. <laughs> um, so you know, Bitfinex uh, has deep liquidity. Uh, has not made the decision yet to go as deep with listed assets. How do you think about? adding assets, is it purely on a, um, on a liquidity basis? And, and is it a dollars and cents standpoint in terms of how, how much you can make in, in trading fees? Is there a first mover advantage? Um, how, how do you make uh, toe the line and, and, and strike this balance between listing literally everything uh, like you see with, with some of the other large exchanges um, and having some quality control so you can cater to the, the larger traders and, and focus on liquidity instead of breadth of coverage? So um, this is another interesting topic. So we listed quite a few of, of tokens, you know, in the past. Uh, and most of these tokens are not making volume. And we are, we, we basically, they are making maybe $1,000 per day in trading volume. We don't make, don't, don't make money on them. Um, of course, recently to improve the liquidity, we decided to delist uh, a lot of redundant pairs and leave just one main pair for, for these tokens that don't trade much. Mm -hmm. I believe that from one point of view, it is important to therefore a big exchange to support even smaller tokens because otherwise just become um, uh, the, you know, the, 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 the token that raise more 
has all the open doors, right? So you have to, to give a fair chance uh, to, to everyone. Of course, what we ask usually is to, to ensure that the community is onboarded and, uh, well, is basically joining Bitfinex and helping Bitfinex to have good liquidity. Um, that is basically the main thing. Uh, we, we decided to open to more uh, tokens um, in the past. Now we, we, we are narrowing down. We are mm, a bit more careful. But in the past, we decided to, if the, to, to follow this practice. If the token is... Um, has a good community and uh, is um, you know, a legitimate token. We do uh, an analysis both on the smart contract uh, and on the, um, um, on the quality of the project, the activity on GitHub and so on, then we decide to list it. Um, of course, unfortunately, uh, some tokens that we listed, uh, as uh, I'm sure many exchange have, don't have much more activity, so they lost a bit of traction. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we really want to, to help the industry growing and I believe that you cannot do that only listing the, the top 20, 30 tokens. You need to give a fair chance to, to everyone as long as they respect the rules. Um, mm -hmm. uh, between those rules, you have also, we t take really good steps in ensuring that we list a good quality tokens. Um, and, uh, I think that our compliance and legal team is really thorough in that. Uh, we, um, the more regulations are coming our way, in the sense that, uh, in general, our way in, uh, in the towards the crypto industry, um, we uh, we are creating more and more strict rules just to ensure that uh, we are always respecting the requirements of the regulators. So uh, we believe that with uh, legal opinions, with ensuring that uh, to, uh, uh, having a deep understanding of the management uh, behind the projects and so on is, uh, is the right thing to do because is what really traditional finance did, does on an everyday basis when you have an IPO, for example. Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, yeah, I, I think you know, we face this issue uh, as a data company, even just you know, where where do you draw the line? Um, you know, there are are providers that that literally have uh, information on thousands of assets, and it's just kind of like the bulletin board approach. You know, for us, we prioritize the top you know 100, 150 to have full profiles and and you know full understanding of the supply curves and token economics, things like that. But um, you start getting past that, and you're talking about you know uh, ecosystems that are sub Series A. Uh, in size, right? If you're comparing it to the traditional market, so there, there's just no, there's no money there. There's no interest. Um, uh, if if some if an investor is going to make a decision to to actually trade a token like that, um, and it's you know an investor with any level of sophistication, they're just going to do a block trade and, and it's going to be a private placement, right? And and we've seen that with assets. Um, like uh, Numerai is a good example, took, you know, Paradigm and Placeholder made a, a direct investment. I know Decred has taken uh, direct investments. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the other larger assets have, you know, sold tokens from their balance sheet. Maker did the same thing. Um, and, uh, and, and you know, far beyond that, it's just, it, it, you know, you're shooting yourself in the foot because, you know, we don't know how many of these projects are ultimately going to be around long term. I think yeah. the, um, the, the dividing line has to be, do you think if there's a thousand assets today and 90% of them are shit that in five years, there will be 10,000 assets and 9,000 of them will be shit. Um, so you're still growing the addressable universe, uh, but that doesn't necessarily change the fact that the long tail is going to be really muddy. Yeah. I mean, I think that we are taking the steps of, uh, um, you know, to 
I mean, many of these exchange, the, uh, these tokens will anyway, um, um, the, the ones that are not active will, will basically just die out um, mm -hmm. and they will get delisted. We had many cases already. Um, we are, um, we are also taking uh, strong steps against uh, tokens that are not releasing the entire code base open source. So, for example, many started as ERC20, right? And then if uh, one of the key things, at least for me from a you know, pure intellectual point of view, we all started this industry uh, based on Bitcoin that was um, uh, um, open source by paper, open source technology. So I, I really don't want to support any token that is not open source. So you have, you, we start to have more and more rules that eventually will bring us to the list more and more tokens that are not following these rules. Because I really think that you have to be respectful of the, um, um, to, you have to really be respectful of the nature of our industry and the openness of our industry. And, um, you know, we, we listed, uh, we are now, we have listed now, I believe, 200 tokens, a bit less probably, and uh, we will probably trim a bit in, in the future. So mm -hmm. we will start checking, for example, GitHub activity, uh, liquidity, and all these things, and we will make decisions. So I don't want to end up in a situation where we have um, thousands and thousands of tokens. I want to be in a situation where I still list small tokens, and that is fine for me as long as there is a good uh, interest and good uh, reason behind it, just because we believe in their vision or just because, uh, you know, they, um, they, they don't come up with crazy valuation and then their valuation got minus 99% the year after, right? So I really like, there are a few projects that are approaching us and they have really reasonable valuation, like, okay, I have valuation of $500,000. In 2017-2018, you get, or oh, you got, the minimum valuation was $50 million for the worst project ever, right? Then, so there is a, I, I start seeing project understanding that the times change, that there are things that cannot be done as in the past, and uh, those are the tokens that, that I like. Uh, last question. Uh, you know, we, we've talked a lot about metrics, as you can imagine, uh, since uh, Bitfinex is a wealth of information and, and the, the data that comes out. Uh, I don't want to make a direct endorsement of, of Bitfinex, but just in terms of the, uh, the, the data and metrics that we look at and, and review on a regular basis, um, the data that we get from Bitfinex seems to be clean, much cleaner than, than you know, some of the other large exchanges. So, um, I did want to ask about one more metric, uh, and then uh, maybe we'll 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 end uh, with with my favorite new question. Um, but the the uh, the interest rate um, in the industry, like the, what is the LIBOR for crypto? Uh, you, you've heard people you know talk about, it. and and we had our own calculations thinking about you know how do you think about the um, uh, the perpetuals and the implied interest rates from perpetuals and, and other derivatives from CME and Bitfinex and now FTX and others. Uh, and then just what's the, what's the kind of risk-free margin rate um, on the major exchanges. Where is the, the funding rate right now um, for, for Bitfinex on an annualized basis? And then, uh, you know, how do you think about quote unquote risk-free rates in this industry or as close as we can get to it since this is default and a risky industry to begin with, but we need to have some baseline to think about pricing risk assets as the lending market continues to explode. So um, this is really good topic. So first, for, first of all, uh, Bitfinex uh, 
of uh, peer-to-peer lending. So we don't determine the, the, the lending rate. Um, we, we, we see a few exchanges that uh, offer margin, but they act as banks, right? So first of all, again, this is one um, of the things that, uh, that I don't like just because um, from a developer point of view, I really love uh, peer-to-peer uh, systems. So for me, um, that uh, we started, uh, that we all started with Bitcoin again, peer-to-peer is really a, a nice keyword that I try to apply to all the products that we give. So we see some, um, some project that gives 6%, some exchanges that offer 6% annualized, I believe, from 6 to 13. Um, and uh, that applies both for borrowing and, uh, and, for, um, uh, and for margin trading. So if you, for example, short Bitcoin, how much you pay. So in, uh, Bitfinex is quite hard, really depends on the volatility of the, let's say, the previous uh, period. Because again, the lending rates, uh, the lending market is an actual trading market. So you can borrow funds and you can borrow funds at different rates. And dif- uh, the, 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 of course, the rate uh, depends on what is available in the book and uh, usually the length of, uh, of, uh, of the, um, your need. We offer from two to 30 days. So we are around like uh, 11% uh, per year, uh, 15% per year on the major major coins. Really varies a lot. Uh, we have uh, been a lending market and a peer-to-peer lending market. We, uh, of course, when, let's say, there is um, a big log, uh, of there is a big raise in price, let's say $3,000, we can see that, uh, the number of longs in Bitcoin um, um, uh, increased. So it means that people start borrowing more USD and or USDT. So the, there is, if there is not enough liquidity in the, um, in, for the momentum, we have a sudden spiking rate in lending rates on Bitfinex. Then eventually they will adjust because also if I borrow, I have the ability to return the, um, the fund early in order to pick maybe something that with a, with a better rate. So when it comes to, to uh, almost zero lending rates, I believe that is, uh, I, I'm not sure if I like that. Um, and I don't, I'm not sure if, uh, I mean, I'm not a big fan of it. I believe that um, the risk needs to be priced. Um, also, uh, it's not just the risk of, uh, you know, of, um, uh, position being stopped out or whatever is also the risk of um, keeping the funds on an exchange. So mm-hmm. um, I'm not, I mean, I, I'm a really honest guy. I, I, I'm not the type of person that say, oh, come on, keep everything on Bitfinex. Um, Bitfinex offer the, the highest security levels. Um, I, I, I really do uh, take seriously every single line of code that could be pushed to production. I, I, I review everything, basically. Um, but I really like people taking care of uh, their own private keys, right? And this, mm-hmm. so the fact that you are not taking your Bitcoin um, securely with your private keys, but you're keeping on an exchange, in, and, and you, you need to get uh, some interest out of it, I believe. That is, that is fair. And also, I believe that you should be the person that decides which interest you should be. Um, and you need to price your own risk and your reward. Um, 
I, uh, I think you know, we're going to be doing a whole lot more work on this. There's, uh, there's a ton that I think our team would love to work with Bitfinex on just to clean oh, up sure. some of the data standards uh, as well. Uh, for, for final question, though, I want to end with a fun one. Um, the first uh, time that I asked this question was with uh, Chad uh, Cascarilla from Paxos. And I asked him uh, when the Bitcoin movie is ultimately made, or, the, or, or better yet, the HBO series, because we know that there's not going to be any movies made anytime soon in LA. <laughs> yeah. The HBO series, um, which actor uh, is going to play Paolo? Uh, I hope not not uh, the usual actor that is doing villains in movies. I prefer <laughs> to be the good guy. Uh, <laughs> all right, so, all right, so, so uh, you're, you're, you don't want to get typecast, but uh, who's, who's the best actor to actually play uh, one way or the other? Or, or maybe uh, who's who's the villain, and uh, if you're cast as the villain, who's the actor, and if you're cast as the good guy, who's the actor? So um, let me think. It's a really nice question. So uh, the nice actor, I would say um, uh, DiCaprio. I, I really love him. Uh, in uh, in the, his latest films, also uh, uh, in um, you know, um, um, you're gonna you're gonna have to uh, play pretty do- you're gonna have to play a pretty dominant role uh, in the next couple <laughs> of years to to keep raising that profile. <laughs> oh right, so yeah, Leo? well, I mean, if you okay, if you want minor minor actors, I I really like the guy from um, you know uh, Ozark. You, you see Ozark? The, Jason Biggs. Uh, I'm really bad with names, but, uh, yeah, you know, J- the, J- the, Jason Biggs, you know, it's hysterical. I've asked this question twice and that was also Chad's answer. So everybody, <laughs> everybody loves Jason Biggs. How about if you're the villain? Uh, if I was the villain, uh, then, uh, let me think. Well, um, not, n- not the villain, but also, uh, a more important like character. So the, um, um, uh, uh, the actor that is playing Tyrion Lannister. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I, I, I love that. That one's way outside of the box. Um, so, <laughs> because, uh, you know, it has the, the right, I mean, I'm, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm, uh, you know, I, I like to make it laugh. Yeah. I, yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, uh, um, that's, that's, I, I, love, I think that's, yeah. I think that's about as wide a spectrum as we're going to get for that answer, uh, even if I ask it a hundred more times between Leo, Leo DiCaprio, Peter Dinklage, and, and then Jason Biggs. But um, in any event, uh, look forward to doing this again soon. Um, congrats on, on all the progress this year with Tether and uh, for the important continuing work and liquidity that Bitfinex is providing. We're looking forward to working with you guys on more data projects. And um, in the meantime, uh, appreciate you hopping by for, for this episode of the podcast. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you for having me. And thank you to everyone else that tuned in or watching on YouTube. Till next time, follow up on Twitter at 2BitIdiots and check us out, sorry.io. We will see you next week. Peace. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Unqualified Opinions go live weekdays at noon Eastern time. You can follow me in the meantime on Twitter at 2BitIdiots. If you want to continue the conversation or troll me, otherwise, I'll see you next week.